Now, last week we had a weather warning. It was going to be hot. How hot? Very hot. And let me ask you, how does the reserved British public react to such news? They go slightly mad, don't they? They do. They head for the beach or a park to get a suntan. And that's what happened last week. I went for a walk in Princess Street Gardens. And honestly, the place was absolutely packed. There were people lying on the grass, having their lunch, listening to their iPods, and just enjoying the sunshine. And it was the same all over the UK. Unless you happen to be somewhere like Stornoway on the Isle of Lewis. Because last Monday, they had a different weather forecast. And it was news you didn't want to hear in the middle of July. I wonder if you can guess what the forecast was. Overcast with the chance of rain. But you know, I wonder if your life ever seems to be a bit like that. There will be times when the sun seems to be shining and everything seems to be going so well. Job is okay, finances are good, and the kids are doing well at school. But there are other times when you feel like you've been caught in a downpour. And to make it worse, everyone else seems to be enjoying the sunshine. And you're not sure how it's all going to work out. I don't know if you ever read Peanuts cartoons. They're very intellectual. Let me share one with you. In a famous Peanuts cartoon, Lucy is philosophizing and Charlie is listening. Charlie Brown, she begins, Life is a lot like a deck chair. Some places to see where they've been and some so they can see where they are at the present. Charlie sighs and says, I can't even get mine unfolded. And maybe you can relate to that sometimes. Well, tonight, I want us to look at a psalm. It's Psalm 150. It's page number 634 of the Pew Bibles. And it's a wonderful chapter in the Bible. And to give you the, the background, the psalms were the songbook of God's people Israel. And they covered a period of about 900 years of Jewish history. And in Psalm 150, it's here that we find an amazing invitation to come and praise God when the sun is shining and also when it's raining. So let's look at Psalm 150, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Now it is said that there are three words that are understood in every language in the world. Any guesses what they are? Is it Amen? Hallelujah? And Coca-Cola? Maybe you feel like a Coca-Cola tonight. 
Well, the second word is key to the psalm. Let me explain. The word hallelujah is in fact a fusion of two Hebrew words. Hallel is an imperative meaning praise ye. And Yah is a contraction for the name for God, Jehovah. And so hallelujah means praise ye the Lord. And tonight we're going to think about what that means. Okay, and we're going to ask four questions. And here's the first one. Where do we praise God? Where do we praise God? Verse 1. I love how the psalmist begins here. Verse 1. What does it say? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And it's a marvelous picture. Look at what the psalmist is saying here. He is saying God is to be praised on earth. And God is to be praised in heaven. And wonderfully. It's amazing. You and I can be a part of that tonight. So let's take the first one. God is to be praised on earth. And last Sunday in Charlotte Chapel, that hit home to me. Let me tell you what happened last Sunday. Now as you know, in the summertime, the world comes to Edinburgh, yes? And who can blame them? Lovely people, fabulous foods, and glorious weather. It's not always like this. But listen to this. Last Sunday, after both services, I spoke with Christians from Africa, so on one Sunday, America, Chile, China, England, France, Greece, India, Italy, Korea, Latvia, Nepal, Northern Ireland, that was my wife, Russia, <laughs> Singapore, and that is just Charlotte Chapel. And what does it tell us? The Church of Jesus Christ is global, and God is being praised. Philip Jenkins in his book, The Next Christendom, writes this. Very interesting. He says this. Over the past century, the center of gravity in the Christian world has shifted inexorably southward to Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And he says this. If we want to visualize a typical contemporary Christian, we should think of a woman living in a village in Nigeria or in a Brazilian favela. And if you cast your eye at verse 1 again, that's what we find here. Where is God to be praised? He's to be praised in his sanctuary. Let me explain what this means. If you think back to the Old Testament, okay? Think back to the Old Testament. What did the sanctuary refer to? It referred to Israel's temple. It's where God dwelt with his people. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, what do we find? The church is the fulfillment of God's promise of a new temple. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, he says this, Don't you know that you yourselves, plural, are God's temple, singular, and that God's spirit lives in you? Okay? And here's what that means. It means that if you're a Christian tonight, as we come together corporately, you join in, in this massive Mexican wave, as we heard about two weeks ago, and God is being praised all over this planet. But it doesn't end there. In verse 1, notice, we find that God is to be praised in heaven. Okay? And here we come to an awesome thought. Think about this. Not only are we invited to come and praise God on earth, okay? But we join with the angels in heaven. It's amazing. In worship, Derek Kidner, in his book on the Psalms, writes this. He says, Earth and heaven can be utterly at one in this. His glory fills the universe. His praise must do no less. 
That's our first question. Where is God praised? He's praised on earth and he's praised in heaven. And now secondly, why do we praise God? Why do we praise God? Verse 2. Now I have two nephews and one is 12 years old and the other is just around one year old. And I can still recall when my older nephew, Daniel, was around three or four years old. He'd come and stay at our house sometimes. And there was one word that he would just always say. Do you know what that word was? Why? Why? He wanted to know the reason for everything. Why do we eat vegetables? Why do we need sleep? Why could he not play with Richard's guitar? And why couldn't Richard play his guitar? Well, the psalmist here, he's just bursting with praise. And he wants us to know the reason why we can praise God. And he wants us to be absolutely clear on that. And we find this in verse 2. It's a tremendous verse. What does it say? Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. So firstly, we can praise God for his works. Praise God for his works. And there are two great works to notice here. Number one, we can praise him for his works of creation. Now last night, I was thinking about this. And let me share this with you. Last night, we were at our friend's house for some dinner. And they had just been on holiday to Canada, to the Rockies. And they had a really great time. And so I thought I would be polite and ask to see their holiday photographs, as one does. I was then told they had taken 430 pictures. Why, do I ask? But you know, we saw some amazing pictures of God's creation. Pictures of bison. Pictures of bears. Pictures of rocky mountains. More pictures of rocky mountains. And we even saw a picture of Lake Moran, which is the twin lake of Lake Louise. Is that right, Ali? Thank you. But as I looked at these pictures, I couldn't help but think, how awesome is our God? And how awesome are the works of his hands? If you look at verse 2, that's what the psalmist is saying here. Praise him for his acts of power. There's a great story about Franz Joseph Haydn, the famous composer. And he was present at the Vienna Music Hall where his oratorio, The Creation, was being performed. And weakened by age, he was confined to a wheelchair. Now, as the majestic work moved along, the audience was caught up with tremendous emotion. And at one point, the crowd could no longer restrain its enthusiasm, and they all rose in spontaneous applause. Franz Joseph Hayden struggled to stand and motioned for silence. And with his hand, he pointed toward heaven and he said, No, no, not from me, but from thence comes all. And number two, we can praise God for his works of redemption. His works of redemption. And here, surely, we come to the pinnacle of why praise should always be on our lips. I love how John Allen, a Salvation Army officer, put it. He says this, very graphic, I deserve to be damned in hell. But God interfered. As John Newton could pen those words, amazing grace. 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I wonder if you know the reality of that tonight. The Bible says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can praise God for his works. And secondly, we can praise God for his nature. And the two are wonderfully linked. Verse 2b, notice what it says. Verse 2, praise him for his surpassing greatness. And literally it means the greatness of his greatness. Now please turn with you to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, page number 724. And in Isaiah chapter 40, we are given a picture of the majesty of God. So let's look at this together. Verses 12 to 15. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says this. Let's follow this down. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or with the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the minds of the Lord? Or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who, taught him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Amazing verses. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous Baptist minister, sums it up for us. He says this, There is nothing little about God. And there is nothing great apart from him. He writes, if we were always careful to make our worship fit and appropriate for our great Lord, how much better should we sing? How much more reverently should we adore? Such excellent deeds should have excellent praise. Amazing. So here's our third question. How do we praise God? How do we praise God? Verses 3 to 5. And we sang about that tonight. And I think you enjoyed singing it. And I think you enjoyed playing it as well. Praise him on the trumpet, the psaltery and harp. Now in Charlotte Chapel, we have been blessed. Why? Because we have great musicians, and we have great singers, and they play faithfully Sunday by Sunday. But this weekend, we are going to be doubly blessed. Why? Because prom praise is coming to the Usher Hall in Edinburgh. Now, in case you don't know, here's what prom, pay, prom praise is all about. I found this on our website. It said this, It is a mixture of church service and concert, blending hymns and worship music with an orchestral backing alongside selections of secular music. Singers and choirs, as well as solo musicians, provide contributions to the events to create an atmosphere of celebration at each prom praise concert. And that is the magnificent scene we find in these verses. So let's look at this. Verse 3. How do we praise God? Firstly, we praise him with delight. With delight. A.W. Tozer puts it brilliantly. And listen carefully to what he writes. He says this. What is worship? Okay, worship is to feel in your heart. He tells it carefully. And express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense 
of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of that most ancient mystery, that majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father which are in heaven. And you notice in verse 3, we get a glimpse of that. You can almost hear the crescendo as each section of the orchestra joins in the final chorus of praise. So if you look at verse 3, first there is the brass, the sounding trumpet, followed by the strings, the harp and the lyre. Verse 4, we have the percussion, the tambourine. And finally in verse 5, the clashing of cymbals. I almost feel like joining the praise band tonight. And you're all thinking, please don't. Because in these verses, we find the secret of true joy. And it's found in knowing God and praising God. And that takes us to our second point here. How do we praise God? We praise Him with delight. And we also praise Him with devotion. With devotion. One scholar put it this way. Put it very well. He writes, Worship is a heartfelt, emotionally charged expression. But it is also a rational and thoughtful expression. True worship is always a response to what we know of God as a result of his revealing himself to us. And David Livingston exemplifies this. Now David Livingston, as you know, was born in Blantyre in Scotland. A good Scotsman. And he was a pioneer missionary to Africa. And how about this for devotion to God? Listen to this. He walked over 29,000 miles. His wife died early in her ministry. He faced stiff opposition from his church back home. And he ministered half blind. But here's what David Livingston wrote in his diary. And I thought it was great. He says, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever me from any tie. But the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. As we sang tonight, I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone, I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. How do we praise God? With delight and with devotion. And our final question on this warm night. Who should praise God? Who should praise God? Verse 6. And here we come to a news flash important verse. Verse 6. What does it say? It's a tremendous verse. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In other words, all of creation is to praise God. Literally it reads here, let all breath praise the Lord. And that should be our vision. Everything and everyone praising God. If you turn one page back to Psalm 148, Psalm 148, you'll notice it, sum, it sums up here the glorious variety that is glimpsed in Psalm 148. And if you cast your eye at verse 7 to 12, it's an incredible list. What does it say? Verses 7 to 12. Praise the Lord from the earth, great sea, sea creatures, all ocean depths. Verse 8, Psalm 148. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds. Verse 9. Mountains, all hills, fruit trees, all cedars. Verse 10. Wild animals, all cattle, small creatures, flying birds. Verse 11. Kings of the earth, all nations, princes, all rulers on earth. Verse 12. Young men, maidens, old men, children. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
So let's stop and let's think what that means. That includes those in your office, even your boss. And it includes your next door neighbour and your bank manager, your dentist, your doctor, your professor at college or university, the person you meet at the school gates every day, the person in that shop you see every day, your fitness instructor. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, here is one way that you can apply this, okay? As you know, in just two weeks' time, it is festival season. And this year again, as you know, Charlotte Chapel is a fringe venue. Now this is a brilliant opportunity for evangelism. So let me give you a friendly challenge. Think about two or three people who you can pray for, spend time getting to know them, and invite them to come along to these events. Because who should praise God? All of creation. All of creation. But finally, of course, that includes all of me. All of me. I love the way John Stott puts it. He writes this. Our worship is not to be confined to church services. On the contrary, listen to this. While we breathe, we praise. And I found this fascinating. Here is how John Stott lives this out every day of his life. Listen to this. The day begins for John Stott at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. He swings his leg over the side of his bed and he starts the day in prayer. And he prays this. He prays, Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you, Savior and Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, I worship you, sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. And he would continue to dedicate his day to God in prayer. And he would say this, Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Holy, blessed and glorious Trinity, three persons and one God, have mercy upon me. Amen. And he would pray that every single day. So here's a thought. Tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. or whenever you get up, why not start the day with that same God-centered focus in prayer? And we're almost finished. And we began tonight by thinking about praising God in the good times and in the hard times. Someone who came to know what this meant was John Wesley. Now, John Wesley was 21 years old when he went to Oxford University. He came from a Christian home, and he was highly intelligent. But one night, something happened that he would never forget. While speaking with a porter, Wesley found that, his, that this poor individual had only one coat, and he didn't even have a bed to sleep in. And yet, strangely, he always seemed filled with such gratitude to God. And so Wesley asked him why. The porter smiled, and he said this, I thank him that he has given me my life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a desire to serve him. Many years later, in 1791, 
John Wesley lay on his deathbed. And those who gathered around realized how well he had learned the lesson of praising God in every circumstance. Despite, despite his extreme weakness, Wesley began singing a hymn. And the hymn was this. I'll praise my maker while I've breath. I wonder if that is the echo of our hearts tonight. Let everything, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Let us pray.